that. There's a scripture in Peter, it says this in 1 Peter 2.10. It says, we who were not a people have become a people. And, you know, I mean, you think about two years ago, there wasn't, there wasn't a church here. There wasn't people here. You know, and now we look, and then two years later, you can see that there's a church, a thriving church, a church that has walked through many things, and you experience, and I just congratulate you for serving in Crowley during the flood, because we know when you serve, and water softens the ground, but it also softens hearts when people watch you, and you serve, and you give, and you minister to people without getting anything in return or expecting anything in return. And then what's happened is people have watched. Because I know that there's five Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And most people don't read those, but you're the fifth Gospel. Most people will read you. And so what, pe- what happened in this community, people began to read us and begin to see us and, and see what we've done. And I just want to tell you, we've given over $30,000 away in cash. Throughout this flood, for different people in the different campuses, we've given out you know time. I can't. I don't know how many bottles of water, food, canned goods, and all those different things. But you know what? God's got an inventory, and He knows. We just know this: people's lives have been touched. You know, church shouldn't be just a family, but it should be an army as well. And see, a family nurtures one another, and an army advances the kingdom. And what happens is when you gather right here, we're like a family that we come and we help each other. We encourage one another. We pour courage. That's what encourage means. You pour courage into people that they can walk through the week and knowing that God is with me. That you walk out of here different than you came in. Amen? And what happens is as an army, when there's a disaster, there's something there, there's battle that needs to take place, that we go there and we stand up as an army for the kingdom of God. Amen? And so I believe this. Great faith is the product of great fights. How many of you have ever been in a fight? You know, and it's like, it, it takes great fights. I know that I, all my children are serving the Lord, but it took great fights sometimes. And me getting away and crying out to God, God, touch them. Me walking through cancer, touching God, I just pray. You know what I'm saying? Even through marriage. I mean, you know that you, you can fight in marriage, but you need to make up, and that's the best part of marriage. And all the married people said... All right, that's a super glue that keeps you together. And see, great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. That's all the testimony means, that I've walked through a test, and I've got a story to tell you on the other end how God got me through this test. And see, but great triumphs only come out of great trials. You see, from day one, we wanted to model this church on all the campuses after the heart of Jesus. That's what our desire is. And see, none of us have ever seen God. But I'll just tell you this, but we've been attracted to him. Why? Why have we been attracted to God? Because we have seen and experienced God's heart. We're we're recipients of God's grace. How many of you remember remember the play? All of us got a history, don't we? I was doing three things this morning. I got up early and I went on a run. And I I was running and I said, God, help remind me of all the times where I was at. Remind me of those moments where I was at. Remind me of the times you've been faithful. Remind me of the moments when, God, that you've done things in people's lives. I begin to think about Pastor Josh did a question at the Jennings campuses. Tell us how you came here. And then I started reading. There's like 60 times. I encourage you to go to the Facebook page. And it's like all these people talked about how they came to the church, what God did in their lives. And I begin to think, I begin to go, God, I'm reminded of where those people are at. 
But God, help me to remember all the times you came through. Because when I'm reminded of what God, where I was at, and I remember what God has done, you know what I can do? This is a whole other message for another, is I can rejoice. I can rejoice. Thank you, God. Thank you. You've been faithful. You see, you know, but I believe this. is that G, What I want to talk to you about this morning, you can go to the Gospel of John chapter 4. And this, anybody over 50, you need these. It's called glasses. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get in there, but I'm going to camp out. But let me just give you a little synopsis or a little story. Or, or let me set up the story in, in John 4. Jesus in, is in the south of Israel, and it's called Judah and what, Judea. And when he's, he's on his way to Galilee. And the fastest way to Galilee, you had to go through a place, a portion called Samaria. And you, and you say, well, what's the, what's the big deal? Well, see, Jews never traveled through Samaria. They, weren't, they, they, they went around Samaria because Jews and Samaritans just didn't hang out together. It was three days quicker if you went through it, but many people would go around it and it would be a three-day journey. And I believe God wants to do a quick work in us many times. Amen? And see, what happens is, but in the heart of Jesus is... We see that he wants to go through Samaria, not around it. And he would find this woman at the well. You know the story of the woman at the well. But what happens is he finds this woman and his disciples, as he's going to talk, go talk to this woman at the well, his disciples get hungry and they go, hey, you know, Jesus, you, we're going to go get lunch. We're hungry. He said, go for it. And as, he, as they do... He asks the woman for a cup of water. And what happens, and she's blown away that he's talking to her because she's a Samaritan and he's Jewish. And he tells her that he is the Messiah that everyone has been waiting on. And then she runs back to her city and tells everyone to come meet Jesus. So what's a, what is the heart of the house? Let me tell you something. The first thing that you want to know if you're going to take notes, the first thing in the heart of this house is, we want to, re- to reach people. What does that mean, Pastor Bob? How many of you know that there, there are going to be only, there's only going to be one heaven? Some of you might be a shock. If, if we're called to worship God together in heaven, we can't, why can't we model it here on earth? That we learn to walk together in unity. And see, see Martin Luther King said it like this, at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings is the most segregated day of the week. By Jesus' blood, he's made us one. It doesn't matter what side of the bow you are from. It don't matter if you're a Boudreaux from Karen Crow. It don't matter if you're a Thibodeau from Thibodeau. But see, we have all these imaginable, well, you know, you're so-and-so, and you know, well, you live this lifestyle, and I don't dye my hair blue, but you know, I mean, just... I had a guy, we were doing prayer, we were doing 21 days of prayer in August, right before, during the flood. And the guy comes to the door, he goes, hey, he said, you let brown men in here? And I said, long story short, I go, brown men, shoot. A brown man, maybe with Jesus, all brown men are welcome. But we put barriers on people. And see, I believe this, that you know what, I, I just want, we must focus on the familiar and not the foreign. What do you mean by that, Pastor? The Samaritans were half-breed Jews, and they were half-breed Assyrian. And what happened in the Jews, so they, 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 hadn't, they, were, they were familiar in some ways, but Samaritans were barred from going to Jerusalem to worship. How many of you got more than one child? How many of you got more than one child? Come on. 
How many of you know that children are different? They have different personalities. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on, uh, I'm not going to pick on Zach this morning. I'm going to pick on one of his siblings. Or maybe two of them, maybe three. I had my third son. He would, I used, my favorite quote to him, what part of no don't you understand, Matt? What part of no? And when he was born, the Lord spoke to me because he came out, he was born and he wasn't breathing. And the Lord spoke to me and he says, Bubba, I'm going to breathe my breath upon, uh, on him that he would breathe my breath upon others. Now he's a paramedic for Nashville Fire Department. Who would have ever know? But he really has a pastor's heart. Then I got my little girl, the only daughter I have. We have six kids. We have five boys and one girl. And she's precious. She's wonderful. And she loves flowers. And she's girly. And she loves things. And she's totally opposite than my wife. My wife is logical. She's not very emotional. She's just, you know what I mean? And my daughter's emotional. I mean, she's her daddy remade. And then my son, Luke, he's like his mama remade, logical. He's our, since he was six, he knows what he wants. He's going to go be a doctor. We went to LSU game about four or five years ago. said, Dad, one day I might, be getting, I might be learning in that building right there. When I had cancer, he started asking doctors questions. And I'm like, I'd bring him to visits. And, 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 and one of the doctors, he said, he goes, how, did, how old were you when you knew? And she goes, I was seven. He says, God spoke to me when I was seven. He said, my name's Luke, and the guy that wrote in the, in, the, in the Bible, his name's Luke, and he was a doctor, and God's called me to be a doctor. He's just logical. You see, John chapter 4, verse 9, let's look at well, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Read between the lines. What she's really saying, ask no favors of Samaritans, Jack. Who do you think you are? Jesus focused on the familiar, not the foreign. Because everyone has something to offer. I mean, Jesus, how I many you know that Jesus cares? He compares the church as like a body. And he says, you know, we, we, we need hands. We need eyes. We need feet. We need heads. We need fingers. We need toes. And what Jesus bridges every divide. What do you mean? Racial divide, age, age division, gender division, and class division. God brings all those together. Amen? And see, I can say this. I mean, I was raised from the time I was one to five with my grandmother. Then I had an African-American lady ra- help raise me from the time I was 10 till I was 18 years old. Her name was Hilda May. And Hilda May, when I'd get up in the morning, she'd pull out the cover. She'd go, boy, get yourself out of bed right now. I remember when she started losing teeth. She cooked seven steaks. She'd make a seven steak feel like heaven. And I remember she used to have false teeth, and she'd go, she'd go, mm. She'd pull out a tooth. I'm go, oh, Hilda. And when my parents, because my parents traveled all over and stuff, and she'd, I remember she'd have that hot nighty at night. It was pink. Hot pink with pink matching slippers. She goes, you better not tell nobody, Bubba. I'm telling you, boy. I'll tear you up. I remember when I was, I, had 50, I was 16 years old, and they told me to go bring her to, to Eunice to get some, because my parents, she had all her teeth pulled, and they bought her, no, it was Crowley. It was Crowley. 
And they, they told me to drive her to Crowley because she was getting false teeth. So I remember she comes out. The, the, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. She gets her false teeth, and she comes out, and she's got two gold stars implanted on the front teeth. And she goes, mm-hmm, stepping up, baby, stepping up. I remember going to meet her when she was dying at Lafayette General Hospital because she was a mama. She goes, you my white children. She'd have all, she had all my homecoming, all my pictures in her wallet. She'd catch the city bus. She'd show people, that's my white boy. He bad. You got to watch him. And me and my bro- I called my brother Todd, and I said, Todd, Hilda's about to pass away. I'm going to visit her. He says, man, can I go? Come on. And I remember, can I tell you something? Love has no color. And when she looked at me, she, we walked in the hospital, and she goes, oh, look, my white boys. <laughs> and we just began to thank her. Hilda, thank you. She goes, I'm so proud of you. You're a preacher. Come on. My little boy grew up being a preacher. I would have never thought that, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Hey, it's not the age, it's the stage where you're at. We're all about reaching people. They're loving people. The second thing is we're to build families. A healthy family is priceless. It really is. You know what? To be a pastor, you hear about a lot of people's pain. And most people's pain come from family. See, John chapter 4, going back to that, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. I mean, we're talking, he said, for you have had five husbands. You weren't even married to the man you're living with. And she goes, and in one verse she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. She goes, you certainly spoke the truth. Jesus is not just pointing out her past. He's pointing out her pain. What do you mean? How many of we all got a past? How many of we all got a history? Come on. We all got junk in the trunk. But when we came to Jesus, he began to woo us by his spirit. And as he wooed us by his spirit, he, he, he's like, you know what? He began to clean our hearts and clean our lives. And we begin to make different choices and different opinions. And it wasn't what I thought anymore. It wasn't about my opinion. It was my opinion crossed by the opinion of what God wanted me to do. It's my will being crossed by the will of God. Look at me. God loves you. He loved you so much that he met you in the pit, or whatever your circumstances were, and he began to go. And see, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make people that are spiritually dead alive. Hello? Look, you did it, but you tried your best. Look where it landed, landed you. Jesus... Yeah, he's looking. See, he, he knew her pain. He knew where she had been. He knew the shame she was carrying. Shame and pain is the avenue the devil uses to cripple us and weaken us. See, the woman was carrying shame and pain. She wasn't just carrying a, a bucket to go get water. 
Why, why did she? I know because she came out to get water at the sixth hour of the day, which is at noontime. And most people that would go get water would be early in the morning and late in the afternoon. Why? Why would they go then? Because it was the cool of the day. See, she didn't want anybody to see her. She went in her shame and her pain to get that water. Women got water like that. You see, Jesus knows our past, and he knows our pain. See, the gospel, listen to me, the gospel and this church exists to help rebuild broken families. What do you mean? We want to help people have, that have no family find a family. See, when something's broken, it's hard to function right. How many know what I'm talking about? A couple years ago, I was running, and I was running one morning, and I, I, and I was running to, you know, I, I was running up, like, I was running 4.25 miles every morning. I'm up to three right now, so I'm, I'm excited because I'm slowly coming back to where I was, and I have a goal to pass that. But I remember one morning I was running, and, they, and the sidewalks are Jennings are horrible. Okay, if you could listen on tape. Fix them. Anyway, just. And they have been fixing them. But I remember running one morning, and I was running. And, and some of the sidewalks I had passed by were some big oak trees, about 150, 200-year oak trees. And they pulled up some of the sidewalk. So as I'm running, and I know they're there, but I, my toe hits that lip. And when I do, I'm like, you ever try to catch your balance when you're falling? I'm trying to catch my balance, trying to stay up. And man, I just slid, and I mean, I bit it. I broke my, I broke this bone in my finger. I didn't go to the doctor for two weeks and found out after. He said, "Well, we just let it repair like it is." And I broke ribs, broke like three ribs, and I scratched my knees all up. But you know what? As I'm running, I'm like, and I, I see myself, and there's someone else coming down the road, running toward me. And there's someone on the bike. So in my pride, you know how that is? You're kind of going, oh, 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 they're coming. Oh, get up. Okay. Uh, uh. Uh, and I'm running. I'm trying to run. I got blood coming down. I'm broke. My ribs. I'm not even, I'm positioned right. You know what I'm saying? They passed me. And I go, I'm going home. Tracy. <laughs> I get home. I'm, what happened? You know, she sees me. <laughs> it wasn't my mama, you know. You know, my mama would have pulled out the monkey blood on the stick. Mercuricone. Remember that? No, no monkey blood. Mama, no. Anyway. Isn't it amazing what pride makes you do sometimes? But you just don't function the same when there's something broken. You can limp the rest of your life if you don't let it, let God touch you and heal you of your pain. And see, what keeps some people from their pain, getting healing, is they go, well, I just don't want to bother people. I don't want to do this. I don't want, you start laying. Because see, I know, you know how women work? They're emotional. They'll just let you know. I just wish you'd make me feel safe. I wish you, you know, when's the last time? Why do they keep saying it? Because they feel like they're not being safe. They feel like they're not being protected. So they allow their emotions to get away. Hello. You know how men deal with it? All right, I've had enough. Anger. That's how they deal. We don't have emotions. Philly? What's that? We do it. But I had to learn. Look, I've been married 32 years. 
I learned. I remember the first time my, mom, my wife had an emotional issue. And I'm like, well, this is what you do. You do this, this, and this. She goes, I don't want you to. That's not what I need. I need you to listen to me and understand. I go, understand? Just do it. Come on. I'm going somewhere. I promise. But here's the thing. We all respond in different ways. But how many families have been broken but are still limping through life? If families aren't healthy, then the church will be unhealthy. The family is God's force in the earth. What do you mean? Who do you think the devil is so... Why do you think the devil is so assaulting families and kids and dads that make dads look like idiots on sitcoms? But I've learned this. You know what a real man does? He's willing, and you know, he can admit, I'm weak. But God, I need your power. I need your strength in my life. I need wisdom to lead my family. I need wisdom to lead my church. I need wisdom to lead other men. Help me to have discernment. Let me be somebody. God, these are areas that I'm weak in. But God, please, I'm asking you, do me a favor, God. I come to the privilege of you. Touch me in my weakness. That's the kind of man I want to follow. I don't want to follow some peacock. You know what the enemy fears? Let me tell you what the enemy fears. He fears spirit-filled, God-fearing, Bible-believing families that build their lives on Jesus. Part-time Christians can't defeat full-time devils. What happened to Samson? Samson had three things God asked him to do. If you know the story of Samson, he said, what I want you to do, don't cut your hair. And I know a lot of guys say, hey, that's cool with me. Don't touch dead things. You remember where the other one was? And don't drink. And you know that before he got his hair cut, oh, he got his hair. You know what he did? He touched a dead lion and honey out of the belly. You know what else he did? He drank. He had a party one night. He had a bachelor party where everybody, party! But you know where he was? It wasn't in Jerusalem. It was in the Philistines. It was in the enemy's camp. And see, let me tell you something. If you're walking in the enemy's camp, that's where you need to be careful. You see, as a pastor, as someone, as a daddy, I can see when my kids begin to start straying. Are you hearing me? And you can try to tell them and share with them. But what happens is, just like Samson, you want to do, oh, no, Dad, you don't know. Dad, I mean, Pastor, you just, Pastor Zach, you just don't know. No, I don't know, but I see. And then right there, you put yourself in the enemy's camp and you think everything's going to be cool. Then just like Samson, it's like, remember the Bible says that, that, that he, God had left him and he didn't even know it. What a scary place to be. Hello. And the enemy's after family. He's like a Delilah. Come on, if you love me, tell me where your strength is from. <laughs> See, we don't build our families on culture of this world, guys, but on convictions of the Word of God. What do you mean, Pat? Doubt is easy, but conviction requires courage. You see, can you imagine what our communities would look like if every husband loved his wife like Christ loved the church? What would it look like if wives were committed and submitted to their husbands and if children obeyed their parents and honored God? A healthy church should model a healthy family.
Am I in the right place? You know what the number one priority is in this church? To make sure that our families are healthy. I want healthy marriages in this house. Why? Because if there's healthy marriages, there's men that are going to follow God and be humble. And women are going to say, you know what? I love my man. Not because he's good looking. I mean, he was slender and tender when we got married, but he's got a big back fender now, Pastor Bubba. But I still love him. He's just more to love on him. You remember, you ever play that mama game when you were kids? Yeah, that's, see, I had one of the ladies, Pastor, I love that jacket. It looks so 70s. I go, I grew up in the 70s. We were cool. We used to play, I don't know if y'all did, when I was in school, like fifth grade at MP Mall, so I remember we go, we'd do those, mom, mama, your mama's so ugly. You ever do that? Your mama's so big. I mean, she got a, she's so big, she irons her, her drawers on the driveway. Your mama, you know, I mean, your mama, so she got to tease the hair on her socks to make your boots stay up. I mean, we do stupid stuff. You know what my number one, our number one priority, I don't even know why I said that. Anyway, let me get back to preaching. I don't know. I just do that. Some ADD kicks in. I don't want to be mean and pray for me. Timothy says, for if a man cannot manage his own household. Listen, this is the Bible. How can he take care of God's church? Well, Paul's really charging Timothy to, he said, if you want to validate everything, you want to validate ministry, it, it lies in your family. If a man can't rule and lead and direct his home in spiritual matters, then how should, you can't oversee the church. The third thing is we want to do is we want to transform communities. This woman was needing water. But not just natural water. She was needing living water. I think it's such a picture. I, I've been going through Genesis right now, and I'm just saying where, where, where Isaac actually meets Rebecca, and they have a lid over the well, and they can't push the lid off the well so the sheep can be, be watered. And it was a picture. I said, you know, and, and I started thinking, and it said this. They had to roll the rock off of the well. And I started thinking about, wait a minute. That's speaking of the living water. Unless the roll, the rock, the rock, the rock was rolled. Jesus, we wouldn't have known that he was resurrected. And living water brings life. The Holy Spirit brings life. He's come to exalt Jesus that we look to God. Are you hearing me? Because Jesus said like, when I leave, Guys, I'm going to send someone greater than the Holy Spirit. And he's going to convict us. He's going to lead us. He's going to teach us. He's going to guide us. See, bottled water and living water are essential to transforming communities. Why do you say that? Because when you served in this community and you gave out bottled water, it ministered to people's hearts. I don't have a case, but I have a case in Jenny's. I said, who's thirsty? I started throwing out water bottles to everybody. And people, hey, give me one. I threw out a whole case. I didn't hit anybody either. Came close. I had one guy had a real good catch. See, Jesus said he fed 5,000 and 4,000 because he had compassion. But he realized that water and food can only go so far. And see, in John 4, 14, says, But those who, who drink the water I, will, I give, listen to what he says, will never be thirsty again. 
It becomes a fresh and bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. God is always gives bottled water in order to give living water. What do you mean? He helps meet the need of someone, the physical need of someone. And when he meets your physical need, all of a sudden you go, well, there's a deeper need in me. You know, my physical needs can be met, but there's something crying out inside of me that's still not being met. See, transforming communities is making people rich where they're poor. If God be your partner, make your plans big. How many know if God's with you, anything's possible? Second Corinthians says that you know this. I started reading this this morning. I mean, I mean, think about the scripture. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Jesus was always emptying himself, he gave everything to set us free. See, I want us to be a church that empties itself. To those that are poor. Whatever, wherever God's made you rich, take what you have and don't keep it to yourself. Love, love flies out the window if there's no pork chop on the table. You can tell people you love them, hey, you're great, I'm gonna, but if you're not serving pork chop and, you know what I mean, rice and gravy in South Louisiana people, don't tell me you don't love, don't, don't tell me you love me and you don't show me, you don't let me see and experience the love of God. If you're rich in your marriage, take your marriage and pour it out on struggling marriage. Start a life group. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're rich in finances, take your finances. Pour it into helping widows and orphans and, and, and the shut out, the poor, the elderly, those who are in prison, or, or go to missions. Through Jesus' poverty, listen to me, he made us rich. Jesus emptied himself. I've learned this when I've been tired and I've been through myself and I've given and given and given. I could go and just kind of hibernate. You ever do that? Anybody ever just try to hibernate? You know, I deserve to hibernate. And I find out if I don't have a schedule, people try to make my schedule for me, then I become miserable. Hello. And then I've learned I've got to schedule my time. I've got to, because you know what? I'm not just a pastor that oversees campuses and ministers and disciples people. Can I just tell you, and I'm not just going around preaching and doing, and God's opened up doors for me to travel in other countries now. The, 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 the crazy thing is what God's called me to do, my greatest responsibility is leave my, lead my wife and my children. Hello. They're my greatest ministry. You know, Luke and I, we were hunting yesterday. I got invited to go to a hunting lodge, and so we went. And you know, I'd, I'd hunted with Mr. Phil. that's here at the church and stuff. He's in Texas right now. And we went out yesterday and ended up meeting this guy. His name is Matt. He's 21 years old. Luke and I just started talking. He just gave his life to the Lord. He gets baptized next week. He's the world champion goose caller. World champion. And all I did the whole time we talked about, I talked to him about getting people in your life. You know, being the man, learn how to fight to win. Just go and be the man God's called you to be. And you need to, you need to get tent pegs. And you know, I said, man, I've been saved for 36 years. I still am walking with the same men that I got saved under, under 36 years ago. And they're still speaking in my life. But one day, I know this, one day, because time goes quickly. And I used to look at the older men to be an example to me. But you know what? 
the older I get, those old men aren't sitting around anymore like they used to. And the older I get, I'm becoming the old man. But you know what? Time will come when I won't be there and he will be the old man. And there'll be a time where Eli will be the Eli. Yeah, Eli can't wait to take over. <laughs> Jesus came. He poured himself out, guys. Acts says it like this, but Peter's, remember when they're going through the temple? And it's, in, it's one of my favorite stories. He's, and the guy goes, hey, you know, he's a beggar over there. Hey, man, you know how beggars are? They can get to your heart. They know, the, they know how to tell a story. I lived on this. I lived in inner cities for eight and a half years and lived in almost every major inner city in America and did, did street preaching, witnessing. All that. I've, been, I've lived in New York, Detroit. All that. I took to, Zach to Detroit with me one time. He was like nine. He was like, dang, Dad. But I've seen. And he, says, he said, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. What do you mean, Pastor Bob? There are those who are poor in health, but you've been rich in your health. I've learned this. Heal people, heal people. What do you mean by that? People that have been healed by God can pray and believe God can heal other people. We were at a conference this week. They had a lady go up, and they called her up. She's got cancer. She's not, I mean, whatever. And I just felt in my heart, I'm supposed to go up there, and I started whispering things in her ear, what God spoke to me to speak to her. And I talked to her and her husband after, and I said, listen, people are going to tell you, look, you need to change your diet. You need to do this. You need to be doing. I said, I've had everybody under the sun tell me everything I need to do and change and all that. But let me just tell you something. What you need to do is you need to trust God through these moments. God's there to help you, to heal you. And I'm just standing here as someone that God has touched. I had stage four, and I'm alive. You know, there's a new sheriff in town. His name is Jesus, and he's given us the ability to believe that he can touch people's lives. Amen? And the last point that I have this morning, I'm going to wrap it all up. What is a disciple? There's so many times. Pastor Bubba, Pastor Bubba, what what does discipleship mean? What does disciple mean? Let me just give you a real easy way to remember what it is. Someone who has a personal and continual encounter with Jesus Christ. You know, I had a radical encounter with Jesus. I mean, he met me. I mean, I knew I was far from God. Pastor Jacob looked at me and said, the Bible says if, he said, if you say you have no sin, the truth is not in you. And he said, but if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And I love this part, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know, sometimes we let God forgive us, but we don't let him cleanse us. I th- you know, I've been studying about Samson's life and just in my own personal time. And one of the things is, when he walked to the enemy's camp, it was 25 miles away from where he should have been. And how many of you know that one decision can make a big difference? And look at me. I want to tell you, some of you have been battling with decisions the Holy Spirit's been drawing you to make. You know, it was recorded. I found a guy that found out how many steps it takes to walk to go 25 miles. You know, the Holy Spirit deals with us step by step sometimes. Hello. Sometimes we know we're one step away from doing what God wants us to do, right? How many of you have things God's been speaking to you about doing or obeying him? And come on, let me just see your hands. 
You know how long many steps he took? He took 52,256 steps to get to the enemy's camp. And you know how many times God gives us chances? And it only takes one step. Sir, if you're dealing with lust and pornography, and God's been speaking to you when you get on the computer, and you you weren't even going there. You didn't even plan to do that. All of a sudden, you know, God's speaking to you. It's one step. Getting real honest and open and transparent. And God can help you and deliver you. Maybe you have, the way you feed your pain is by overeating. And God's been speaking to you. Maybe your pain is, you know, going out and, and, and drinking something or smoking. Hoochie Listen, it can be legal in places, but I know this. I used to get high on that stuff, but now I serve the most high. I don't need that. Disciple someone, the woman, she has an encounter with God. I mean, she's like, whoa, this dude's like, he's the Messiah. You know what I had? I didn't have an encounter with religion. I had an encounter with Jesus. And he touched my life on May 15th, 1980, on a Wednesday at 11 o'clock. How do you know, Pastor? Because you know what? I was lost. I was without God. I didn't have a, my mom and I didn't get along. And my brothers and stuff. I didn't have family. I didn't even have a healthy family. And all of a sudden, God forgave me. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was, I mean, I was, it was like, ah, I got to get, ooh. I was, man, I got to get me some more of this. Because my life was all about feelings back then. Feelings. Nothing but feelings. But I realized it wasn't about my feelings anymore. Because some people go to church to get a feeling. Like Boston. More than a feeling. It's more than a feeling. Because if you, well, you know, I want to serve God. He's calling me to sacrifice. No, he's not. God doesn't want your sacrifices. You know what he wants? He wants your obedience. And see, what a disciple does is God speak to me. And God goes, okay, I'm going to speak to you. And he goes, well. That's not what I wanted to hear. See, you'll never be a disciple until you do the last thing that God told you to do. Hello. Some of you go, I can't hear God anymore. Are you doing the last thing he spoke to you about? Maybe for some of you, it's being nice to your wife. For some of you, it could be, you know what? I need to, you know what? I, I need to stop walking in anger. I need to get rid of these issues in my life. I need to be honest where I'm at. Then God can do a work. Am I in the right church? You see, let me just wrap that up. John 4, 25, 26. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I like what he says before. I am. Remember what God said? Remember Moses goes, well, who's, who said, who do I tell Pharaoh? I go, say, say, I am. Sent you. I am the Messiah. Our job as a, as a church is to help, help people see him and hear him for who he is. He's a mighty God. He's able to deliver from the uttermost, from the guttermost. There are two issues here in this story. The woman's hardship. How many of you have had hardship in your life? It's the woman's hardship and Jesus' lordship. What do you mean? Jesus wants us to choose him for who he is, not just for what he does. 
What do you mean by that? There's a lot of people who choose to follow him only, to, only for what he does. What do you mean? When people get settled and comfortable when they come to know the Lord, they tend to pay less attention to their maker and more attention to the things that he made. Did that just go right over your head? Lord is who he is. Savior is what he does. It's kind of like I know. I saw, you, heard, you saw the new card they have? It's, it's called the less card. Less, less and no points. Anyway, just. You'll get it later. A real disciple loves him and follows him for who he is. I love that one of my favorite scriptures, Luke 6, uh, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but yet you don't even do what I say? Why do you call me Lord? We follow Jesus not because he can help us with a hardship, but because he's our Lord. John 4, 41 and 40, 40 and 41 says, when they came out to see him, she went and told everybody, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. Long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. The heart of this house, the heart of this church is to make disciples who make disciples. The church is the vehicle that grows you from being a believer to a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Are you hearing me? I love this church, but I love Jesus more than I love this church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because in a place, you are the church as we gather. And, you know, as we gather, we have, we, every, there's different people that have needs. And, and there's things that we need. But I want you to remember, the heart of this house is to reach people, to build families, to transform communities. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that Crowley could have been the same and did what they did if you wouldn't have showed up and ministered to people during the flood? Hello? Believe me, every politician was wanting to get to know Zach. Can I take a picture with you? Can I, hey, Zach. And it, it doesn't matter if you got a D or an R behind your name. But can I tell you something? Without the church, without the church, many disasters that happened through Katrina and Rita and this flood, things couldn't have got done, guys. The four issues we're going to deal in our, in our generation with are going to be these things. Number one, radical Islam, LGBT. Black Lives Matters, and militant women. You go, what do you mean, Pastor Baba? I'm just people that want, don't care about authority, don't love anything. Those are things we're dealing with in our generation. That's what millennials are dealing with. And people are asking, why? Where? And where's the church? You know what the, church, you know what the church's job is during that? To love people and display Jesus. So if you're in any of those fringes that you can go, you know what? I see all the... Because see, what, we're, what, what people are looking for is for people to stop telling everybody what to do from the church and to show people that the church loves people. Are you hearing me? What do you mean by that, Pastor? But that we don't, we don't compromise. We don't compromise. Listen, the methods may change, but the message never changes. 